Grace to you and peace from the God who is our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We consider together a portion of our gospel lesson from John chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, where Jesus talks about how it is necessary that he would be lifted up. There are certain Bible passages that set before us comfort that is really solid and firm. And so we look to them often. We may even note, where exactly do I find these words? They bring that solid comfort until we find a way to misunderstand them. And I think for a fair amount of time, I was kind of an expert at that of reading conditions into promises, as though God had said through Isaiah, fear not and then I'll be with you. Or concerns like Jesus says, do not worry about what you'll drink or what you'll eat or what you'll wear, realizing I'm worrying and now I'm worrying about my worrying. Or the command, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. God wants me to be rejoicing. So doesn't he have to step back a ways and wait till I at least make some progress on that before he can come back into the situation? Yeah, when I was in early grade school, I would say I was a pretty bad theologian at times. Even with something as solid in comfort as John 3.16. I recall thinking basically... God so loved the world and gave his son. Well, that's an accomplished fact. But then concluding, so that's that's a given. Whoever believes in him, that's the variable. So everything then depends upon me believing in him, separating faith from, from the promise and from the comfort and turning my gaze within myself and then having all kinds of uncertainty to struggle with. I'd like you to think about how you would have spoken to help me in a situation I'm going to describe for you now. I would have been about 10 or 11 years old, kind of half asleep on a hot August night, And for some reason, I sat up and I looked out my window. And I saw a portion of the sky to the east lit up. And I thought it was the end of the world. But of course, then I realized, well, there'd be more happening than just that light. So it wasn't Judgment Day. You know, that, that, that fear had made me suddenly very much thoroughly awake, but now I couldn't get back to sleep because I was thinking, I was afraid at the thought of Jesus coming. So I must not be ready for him to come. So I ended up going downstairs to talk to my, fast, my pastor my father, 
I don't remember what words he used, but I know that what he told me enabled me to go back up to my bed and, and fall asleep. But what would you say to a person in such a situation? I met last night for the first time in my life somebody who had seen heat lightning and thought it was the end of the world. Fellowship of two at this point. Um, what, uh, what do we do with many situations? What would we say to a person who's, who's afraid of dying as they go through a battle with cancer that has kind of a roller coaster path that it takes, remission and recurrence. What do we say to that person whose, whose fear is there's something wrong with my prayers? Because they're, they're praying fervently for their, their spouse in that situation, and their prayers aren't working, and so they're worried about their faith not being strong enough. I think many people, many Lutherans, people I know, would have responded to that fear of saying, I'm not sure my faith is strong, would say, well, just believe in Jesus. But isn't that just the problem? How can I say that I'm believing in Jesus when I'm afraid of him coming? For many people, believe in Jesus is really like one New Testament commandment to replace the ten Old Testament commandments in that sense that God is offering a, a bargain, a discounted bargain. Keep the command, believe in Jesus, and then I will give you, I will give you life. Now we can explain the meaning of the gospel by saying whoever believes in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. That's really explaining the gospel. But we've got something to proclaim. Belief in Jesus, strictly speaking, is not the gospel. What is belief? What is faith? Faith is expecting good things from God. Why do we expect good things from God? Because we expect them? No, because God loved this world and gave his son. That's the good news. It doesn't tell us what to do. It proclaims what God has done and has committed himself to doing for, for us for all eternity. God loved the world and gave his son. That's not just a, a given. That is the gospel itself. Solid, unchangeable, unshakable good news. So that's the nature of the gospel we proclaim. Our fallen nature, however, always wants to look to ourselves. Fallen nature is convinced that God does not give freely, that we've got to do our part. And so it stubbornly would turn the promises of God into all conditional promises promises that wait for our contribution. 
And we can tend to look at that command, believe, as though it's requiring that. Martin Franzman made the statement that the cross is a divine no to all human activity. First of all, he is pointing to this about the cross. On the cross, Jesus suffered to pay for the sins of the world. You can't pay for that because he already has. So we don't contribute at that part. But the other way in which the cross is a divine no to all human activity is when it comes to recognizing the Savior as the Savior. We can't discover that on our own. This is a matter of revelation, that is, uncovering something that was previously hidden. Nicodemus came to Jesus at at night, and he greets Jesus with really a compliment. We know you're a teacher sent from God because of what you're doing. I know who you are, Jesus. I've figured it out. He gives Jesus a compliment. How does Jesus respond? Not by acknowledging that as a compliment, but really by challenging it in two ways. No, Nicodemus, you haven't figured it out. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he has been born again. And that's not something that we're capable of doing. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, We can't recognize the gospel or recognize the Savior. There's this thing called the curse of knowledge, which means when you've learned something, you can't really deal with that in the future without having that knowledge in mind. There are stories in the Bible that we probably had some questions about the first time we heard them, but the questions disappear. We don't recognize anymore how strange something was. I want to take you back to that time in the wilderness as Israel is getting getting close to entering the Promised Land. They've got to go around Edom. They're not being able to go through. And because of that detour, the Israelites were grumbling and complaining. They hated the food. Moses was doing wrong. God was doing wrong. And so the Lord sent poisonous snakes into the camp, and they were striking people, and people were dying. They acknowledged their sin, and they came to Moses and said, We spoke against the Lord and you. Pray for us that the snakes be taken away. So Moses prayed, and the Lord gave him this instruction. Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Can we 
Go back to thinking about that as not just a part of the story, but from the perspective of somebody who has been struck by a poisonous snake. Imagine your your youth group is going to go on a hike when the spring spring, uh, warmth and sunshine comes. Going to take a hike in an area where there are known to be rattlesnakes. And a parent might be anxious about somebody like me taking their children into that kind of situation. How about I comfort them in this way? I've got this rubber snake that I got at the Circus World Museum. If anybody gets bit, I'll just pull that out of my backpack, I'll hold it up, and everything will be fine. I don't think that would be terribly reassuring. Here are people who needed rescue from a snake, and they're being told to look at the snake. They couldn't have discovered that solution on on their own. The familiar is something we tend to think is being self-evident. If I could kind of walk you through a real simple Google search where you type in the name Lige Daniels, L-I-G-E, Daniels, you would come to an image. It's a postcard. It's a picture of a crowd of men and boys there in front of a courthouse. Some of them are lined up underneath him. These Daniels, a young black man who had been lynched. He's hanging there from a tree right in the middle of the picture. What if we scroll in at that point to, to see him more clearly? And I would put my finger there and say, there's God. There's God. That would be shocking. We're used to the cross as jewelry and forget what a shameful thing that kind of death was. Can we discover God's Savior at the very heart of his saving work? On Good Friday, how many people knew what was going on? Just one. And that man happened to be on a cross next to Jesus. To anybody else, it looked like Jesus was failing. To the disciples, it may have seemed as though God is absent and God is powerless. But the power of the gospel reveals to us that that is where Jesus is doing his saving work that we have this perspective and maybe don't think all that much about it. If we're telling people what we believe, we're saying, I believe that nearly 2,000 years ago and thousands of miles away, somebody was tortured to death. And because of that, I am going to live forever. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the message of the cross is foolishness. Not something we can discover on our own, as recognized as as having value on our own, but that foolishness is, is stronger 
than man's wisdom. Jesus was not talking about being lifted up in the sense of being exalted or glorified. He was telling his disciples, this is how I am going to die. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Again, that's really ground zero for our salvation. And it doesn't look like God is succeeding. It looks like he is absent or failing. We can't find a Savior there on our own, but the Holy Spirit reveals him to us and convinces us of the value of what he has done. The gospel points to a Savior who is a Savior for the whole world. God loved the world and gave his Son. We don't often think about the the way we typically talk about the world. Satan is referred to as the prince of this world. What is true about the people of this world? It's a race of people who will live in hostility to God's will that God gave his son into such a world where each and every person is deserving of death, that's, that's grace. Giving life to those who have asked for death. Believe in Jesus is a short phrase that may cause us some problems because believe that's in the form of an imperative a word of command that looks to be the same as the imperatives that go with with the Ten Commandments. But there is a difference between the commands connected to the law and the commands that are connected to the gospel. Law commands put the focus on us, what's going on in our life, what's going on in our heart. But those commands that are connected to the gospel point to our God and what he has done. When he says, fear not, he gives the reasons. For I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. When he tells us to rejoice in him, Paul goes on to remind us that the Lord is near, to remind us that that Lord who is near is waiting for our prayers, and to remind us also that we who cannot guard our own hearts will enjoy that peace that comes from God that transcends our understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds in connection with Christ Jesus. Faith is expecting good things from God. Expecting good things from the one who lived and died for us is not our gift to God, our immediate condition. It is God's gift to us that you enjoy a confidence that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you because after all, his son died for you That's to be on the receiving end of things. 
That's a confidence worked by the Spirit pointing to us what God has done. More than that, pointing to us and revealing to us who he is. When we say believe in Jesus, that's not just providing information or instructions. It's connected to salvation history, an unchangeable thing that gives us a perspective on where we are at. In our day, we are able to know where we're at with incredible precision. My son and his family moved to uh, parsonage right next to Reformation Lutheran Church. It's listed as Dousman, but it's really closer to Wales. And the, the parsonage has one of those addresses that's an N followed by some numbers and a W followed by some numbers, which doesn't show up on Google Maps. So the directions we ended up following were for the church, which always told us to turn into their parking lot before we got to the driveway. So I decided to put a pin down on the map close as I could get to their mailbox. And if you ever put a pin down on a Google map, what you'll find is that you will be given the latitude and the longitude with six figures to the right of the decimal point. Now that's, that's pretty precise. But I'm not looking for that kind of precision when I would ask you, where are you? Where are you? Are we in Antioch? We're in Lake County, right? Where's Lake County? That's in Illinois. Where's Illinois? It's in the United States. Northern Hemisphere, Western Hemisphere. Where are you? You are in the world that God loved, for which he gave his son. That's where we're at. That's who God is. That's what he's done. Expect good things from him. Amen.